Welcome to the Top Business Leaders Podcast. You'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more and to download our show notes, go to topbusinessleaders.com. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Linda Popke, one of my good friends, longtime associates, and the head of the... Oh, gosh, there's so much to say. I'll let Linda introduce herself. Go ahead, Linda. Welcome. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'm a strategic marketing consultant. My company is Leverage to Market Associates, and we help individuals and organizations get heard above the noise in the marketplace by using marketing strategically. So if you think about the marketplace today as being a big cocktail party and everybody's talking at once and trying to reach out to their customers, it's just loud and overbearing and you can try to scream or you can be quiet and nothing will happen or you can try to do something different. And that's what I do is I help my clients do something differently so that they can stand out. I am also one of the executive directors of SAC, the Society for the Advancement of Consulting which is probably the premier global organization for individual consultants. And in my spare time also, I do some editing and um, ghostwriting for books since I started my life as a writer. So I do a lot of different things. Fantastic. We're going to, going to touch on a, a few of those things that you talked about as well. And I think as a marketer, you brilliantly positioned yourself. Congratulations. Uh, so tell us uh, about your book. Why did you decide to try to book and how has it helped you with your marketing? So, you know, it was one of these things where my mentor, Alan Weiss, who a number of people may be familiar with, has always said, you need to publish, you need to publish. And I had published a number of my own self-published books and workbooks, etc. But I decided, and I've been a writer my whole life, I decided it was time for me to write my own book about marketing. So I wrote the book called Marketing Above the Noise, Achieve Strategic Advantage with Marketing That Matters. It was published by a publisher called Bibliomotion which has now been taken over by another company, so it's now um, under another name. But um, that was kind of the idea to do it. Um, and what I wanted to do was to really put out something that kind of talked about marketing being timeless because we hear so much about, oh, this is new, this new marketing strategy, this is social, this is Internet of Things, this, this. And all that is true to a certain degree. But my feeling is the basics of marketing haven't changed in 10,000 years. You need to have a good product. You need to have it at the right price. You need to know who your customer is. You need to package it. You need to promote it, and et cetera. So all of those things are the same, except now we're working on the Internet or we're working over, you know, um, mobile devices or, you know, something that's being broadcast to your phone. Who knows? Um, but that was what I wanted to do was get that out there. And so that was kind of the goal of the book. And how has the book helped you get business? So it's interesting. There's a couple things that happened. I think for the most part, it's a credibility factor that people look and they go, oh, you've written a book. Um, and sometimes it's not even people that I'm related to in a business perspective. Some one of my clients, I was um, setting up an interview for them and it's not related to marketing specifically. And she said, oh, you've written a book. I've got to go read it and, and, and see what you have to say. So it, it, it becomes a credibility factor. Um, there's also what I call the thud factor is you walk into a potential client, you say, here's my book. And chapter four, um, this particular section, I think, might apply to you. And so there's something about having it there that really helped. Um, I've had several clients tell me that they've read parts of it. 
I don't know that anyone's read it cover to cover. I don't test anybody. That's not what it's about. But um, I do think it's helped kind of get me in front of the right people. I did a PR campaign when the book came out, which was somewhat about the book, but also about promoting myself with a PR agency who specializes in book launches. And I think that was quite helpful. So um, all of that, I think, is, has been very good. Um, and that being said, I don't think I will write another book on marketing because in the four or five years since I wrote this one, the market has gotten oversaturated with marketing books. And the market for books in general has gotten tighter. Borders is gone. Um, Barnes & Noble sells everything but books. Uh, and Amazon is, is the big gorilla in the room. Um, and publishers, commercial publishers are harder and harder to deal with. So what I do for my clients is I help them try to decide, do they really want to go to a commercial publisher? Do they want to self-publish or do they want to work with a hybrid publisher or something in between? And that's probably what I will do for my next book. Excellent. Good advice. Um, now, you do a lot of editing, and I'm wondering, what are some of the biggest faux pas that you see when you get a first draft from a client? So one of the things that I see that's really very interesting is um, uh, people write the way they talk. And that's fine when you're talking. I mean, you and I can have a conversation, but if we were going to transcribe this for a book, it would need to be edited. Uh, and so very often I see people go on and on and on in sentences. Um, most people, even highly educated people, have not really met a comma in their life or a semicolon. <laughs> so um, a lot of it is punctuation. But I also find that there is repeating things because if you and I had a conversation, we might come back to the same point. When you're writing a book, you don't have to say it four times. You need to, to follow through and make sure it's right. Um, I am often brought in, interestingly enough, to fix a book where the editing has not gone well. There's one book in particular where I was the third editor. Um, the first two really didn't know the subject matter, and, uh, and, and the authors brought me in and said, help. And it was very, there were a number of authors had written a book, and it was very clear from the initial editing, this was written by this person, this chapter, by this person, etc. And what I did was really kind of homogenize it so that it, it didn't stand out because they wanted it to be one big book, not three sections. So I did that. I've also, um, a, a colleague of mine came to me with a commercially published book that was literally ready to go to the press. And he had shown it to a friend who said, oh my God, there's, there's grammatical errors all over here. Can you, can you help? And I thought the book had never been edited. It turns out the publisher had sent it to a editor in India. And because it's cheap, you get what you pay for. And it was someone who likely did not speak English as a first language. And in 200 pages, I think I found over 2,000 grammatical and, and um, punctuation errors. And, and the book was written by a PhD, and the topic was wonderful, and his, you know, his points were great. But even people who are highly educated and very professional and successful in their field are not necessarily very good at, uh, at putting together something in a written format in the way that you and I want to read it. That is so true. Right now, I'm ghostwriting a book for a client, and he gave me a webinar and a transcript. And when I was listening to the webinar, it sounded pretty good. When I looked at the transcript, I saw every single problem that you just described. The transcriber, first of all, made mistakes because she never met a comma or a period that she didn't like. And everything was this giant run-on sentence of commas, commas, commas. I had to go back in and put in periods and capital letters to form sentences. That was interesting. And then when I read it again, I could see that he said the same words, not even the same concepts, but you know, not even the words like you know, but that, those kinds of things. He would say, and I was, and I was, and I was. And 
When you hear it, you don't hear the repetition. When you see it on paper, it stands out like a sore thumb. It was, I can't believe he said it, three times. <laughs> and I think that's another lesson to learn, is that transcribers are not editors. They're not paid to clean up things. You know, they may not transcribe the ums and the ahas, and maybe they're, if you tell them, don't write down really or sure or um, other word crutches that people have, you know, uh, for example, uh, some, are, some are good at that. But for the most part, what you say is what they will print, and it ain't ready for public consumption. So thanks for pointing that out. Now, the and, other thing that I find just, you know, kind of one of my pet peeves is mm -hmm. what I call empty calorie words. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to, um, to do something and have some, some people will come or, uh, you know, a certain number of people will come. That, well, I don't know what some means. I don't know what certain number is. I mean, if you either tell me, you know, it's, there, there's something specific you want to say, but get rid of those words that are just added in there uh, because they're the way we talk and they don't add anything. Um, so that's, that's something I see as well as people use the word like totally incorrectly. Uh, I tell people like is for Facebook, uh, <laughs> you know, like friends. You probably want to say as if or similar to. Uh, this was like that. No, this was similar to that. Um, and, you know, again, there are minor things in conversation nobody notices, but when you write a book and you, you do this over 200 pages, it gets a little bit much if you don't have a good editor. That is so true. I found a program um, better than Grammarly. It, it, it does a lot of the same things as Grammarly, but goes into more depth. Uh, Pro Writing Aid is the name. And it finds ex those exact constructions that you're talking about and more. And when I ran my book through it, it found literally more than a thousand things to correct. And they were right in about 95% of the cases, which is, is quite humbling. <laughs> You are a professional writer. You do this for a living. So, and I tell people, they say, oh man, this is terrible. I said, You're, this is not what you do for a living. And that's why, you know, don't expect it to be wonderful. Um, so, and, and I'm working on a couple of books right now uh, by actually both are written by women and they want to write a book for younger women coming up. Um, and either they're telling their story or they're providing lessons that they've learned through their career. Um, wonderful topics. But neither of them are writers, and it shows in what the original manuscript was. So it needs a professional editor. The other thing I have to say is, and you know this too, um, you cannot edit your own work. You just can't do it. As good an editor as I am and as you are, we cannot edit our own stuff. We can't get far enough away to get a good perspective. So you need to bring in another set of eyes that isn't as familiar and will see things that you don't see because you've been looking at it for too long. Oh, I, I agree completely. In fact, one of my other guests on another podcast had one of the most brilliant quotes. Uh, she said, there's too much self in self-publishing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it really does take a team to put the whole manuscript together. Uh, let's talk about some of the more structural problems that you see when you get a first draft from a client. So we're, we're beyond the, the proofreading and the copy editing and such like that. We're talking about logic and structure uh, of the book or arguments. What problems have you seen with your clients there? Well, I, you know, there's a couple of things. I think um, people want to tell you everything they know. You know, here's a subject, and I'm going to just go on about every single thing I know about it. And I'm number one, I may not need to know all that. And number two is it comes out sometimes in a flow of consciousness, and it's like, okay, this, this just doesn't flow right from a book perspective. So I have very, on many occasions, 
change the first, the opening and the closing chapters because what they opened and closed with didn't feel to me like bookends, you know, for the book. Um, and there was a chapter in the middle, and I said, "This is your closing chapter because you are, you want to close on a high. You want to bring it all together." Um, so very often it's kind of restructuring the, um, you know, the way that that the book is laid out in terms of chapters and content. Um, sometimes it's going through and saying, you know, uh, um, how much of this do you really want in here? Uh, you have, I wrote, I, I edited a book where um, they, she started out by having a lot of um, uh, questions at the end of each chapter that were, you know, questions for you to think about. And then we got halfway through and there was only one or two questions. And I said, okay, you've got to be consistent. Either you're going to have this as a feature that's in every single chapter or you're not. Um, and, and either way will work. But you can't kind of come and go and, and whatever. Um, I also see people changing tense and they'll say, they'll talk about we and then you and then I and, and, and they. And you've got to be consistent with that. You know, are we going to talk? Am I going to talk about what I can do for you in this topic? Or I'm going to talk about what happened to me. But whatever you choose, you need to be consistent through that. So that's another grammatical thing, I think. But it also impacts the way that the, the story is told. And, and really, I think um, you, you need to think of a book like a story, almost like a play. You know, it's in several acts. You have something that gets your attention. You know, it builds up. Something happens that's dramatic, and then it goes to a climax, and we're feeling good at the end. Now, we're not writing fiction, but that's the way you need to be in nonfiction, too. Otherwise, you're just if you're just throwing a bunch of facts at me, uh, it's boring. It's boring. So how what's the arc of the story? And that's something I think that many people writing books aren't thinking about, you know, where do I want to be? What is the message I want to leave? Who am I writing for? A lot of people aren't thinking about, well, I'm writing for everybody. No, you're not. <laughs> no one is writing for everybody. Not even the Bible is for everybody. So, um, you know, you've got to think about who your audience is and what you want to accomplish. What is it you want to leave them doing at the end? Is there an action you want them to take? Uh, and the action isn't necessarily call you for business, but the action like to go back and review something that they're working on or to make a change in their life, or to do something different, well, then how do you get them to that stage all the way through the book? And I think very often people are just kind of writing things down and getting them out and not thinking about that whole story arc. Fantastic advice. I love that. Um, I just edited one of my client's proposals, and my comment to her was, there's too much you in all these stories. I mean, every chapter start off with, her journey, her experience, her interpretation of, of something. And, you know, I said, can you talk about your clients? Can you mix it up somehow? And if the, oddly enough, she told me that she had a developmental editor help her to this point. And he had suggested, uh, could have been a woman, I don't know. That person suggested that they mix it up. And I noticed it immediately. And she thanked me for it because there was just too much her in there. Where do you stand on the whole story, the whole idea of people wanting to be the hero of their own stories versus making their clients the hero of their stories? I think it really depends on what you're, you're talking about. So, for example, in my book, I have some examples. Um, one of my first paying jobs was at the circus. And oh, I wasn't the, the clown or the lion tamer, but I was selling uh, concessions and I learned a lot of things about marketing. That tied directly into what I was saying in that particular chapter, and it was kind of an interesting story. On the other hand, um, I have uh, several stories about clients or other companies that weren't even clients that said, in this particular instance, here's an example of a company that did this and that and whatever, and here's how the story came out, and this is why it's relevant. So I think you need to mix it up. 
and you need to make sure it's not an ego thing. You need to make sure that what you're putting in really belongs. Um, and again, don't try to put every single thing you know. First of all, maybe there's two or three or five books. So don't put them all in, in one huge volume. But secondly, um, you're going to have the book and you're going to have a, a, a body of work around it. Maybe you're going to create a course. Maybe you're going to do podcasts. Maybe you're going to have, um, I don't know, some kind of videos. Who knows? All kinds of things. Articles. So you can, the book doesn't have to be all encompassing. You can take some of those stories that don't necessarily fit and use them when you do a presentation that includes information from the book or when you do a video or, or a podcast, etc. Exactly. Books are becoming much, much smaller these days as people have lesser and lesser attention spans. You and I were both at a conference recently where Chip Bell gave out his books. He was a brilliant speaker. And I asked him afterwards, and I said, your book is, is brilliant, but it's, it's kind of small. you know." And he said it was small on purpose because the people he was writing it for, you know, frontline service personnel, they don't want to read the latest social psychology statistics about something. They just want to know what to do in a given situation. So he had big type, big pictures, cartoons, stories, uh, small to-do items, uh, and it really worked for that audience. I, I thought that was brilliant. Um, I'm wondering, you said earlier... Um, one thing, too, just to mention, you mentioned cartoons and graphics. Very often, uh, authors are just thinking written words, and written words are boring. As far as I'm concerned, you have to have a minimum of one, if not two, graphics per chapter. We're not talking about complex graphics that cost thousands of dollars to, to make. It could be a pie chart. It could be a two-by-two two matrix. It could be who knows what, a photograph. But you've got to break it up because I think one of the things Chip does really well is his books are very graphic. And mm -hmm. so it's easy for people to see. And that's an important thing to remember, too. Definitely. I finished reading a book by Russell Brunson called Expert Secrets. And uh, it has graphics on almost every page. And it could just be words, you know, words handwritten or words on an easel. And it really worked. Somehow it affected my brain in a different way than the words that were printed in black and white in 12-point times Roman. It, it, it was really very effective. I'd highly recommend that book to anyone. It's actually a very good marketing book in and of itself. Uh, but the words and the pictures just really worked. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer is also particularly brilliant about using big type, different colors, and really making his books stand out. Uh, Linda, we're coming to the end of our interview. You've given us a lot of great information. Tell us a little bit more about how we can get in touch with you and the kind of services you provide. So, thank you. Um, you can do a couple of things. You can follow me on Twitter at Popkey, P-O-P-K-Y, uh, or Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, you can also, my book is called Marketing Above the Noise. You can find that on uh, Amazon and uh, other places online for the most part. Um, but if you're interested in strategic marketing, what I do very often is assess for clients uh, what they need to do to kind of get to the next level. And for, I, I do coach and mentor individuals. So very often it's how do I kind of go from where I am now where I want to be. Uh, as Marshall Goldsmith says, what got you here won't necessarily get you there. So you need to do something different. So from a marketing perspective, how do you build your brand? Um, for larger companies, I do some of the traditional marketing, whether it's around partners or marketing intelligence or branding or channels, all kinds of interesting things. Um, and, uh, yeah, the best way, I think, to, to get a hold of me, you can email me, linda at popkey.com. Um, my website is leverage2 with the number 2, leverage2market.com, and through all the great social media channels. 
Fantastic. Thanks for joining us today, Linda, and thank you everyone for attending. Have a great day. Bye. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Top Business Leaders, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.